1: Are you a fan of the Superhero Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more content, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers now on with the show hello and welcome to superhero therapy with dr janina scarlett i am your host dustin mcginnis i am a musician filmmaker and all-around fanboy
0: and i'm dr janina scarlett i'm a clinical psychologist author and a full-time geek
1: so today we are going to talk about a great show since the quarantine we've had the opportunity to binge some older shows. One show we recently finished was Monk.
2: It's out there. This, out there.
1: this show is rich in psychology and is also some fun to watch. It's also very relevant to life in the COVID-19 era. I mean, a great deal of us are all Monks now. (laughs) (laughs) There will be a lot of spoilers in this episode. If you have not watched the show, we won't take it personally if you stop listening now. So just properly warned, be you, says "I." This show follows Adrian Monk, portrayed by actor Tony Shalhoub. Monk is a former detective who consults with the San Francisco Police Department on the trickier type of homicides that they can't solve. His superpower is attention to details and fixating on perfection. He suffers from an anxiety disorder known as obsessive-compulsive disorder and numerous phobias. After Monk's wife was murdered, his disorders worsen, leading to his suspension from the police force. What do you think about the show's treatment of mental illness, and Tony Shalhoub's portrayal of the great Adrian Monk.
0: You know, I've read a few articles from other mental health professionals saying that the show does not accurately portray OCD. But when watching the show, it struck me. I thought the showrunners and the writers did an incredible job of portraying a really complex situation. Now... I know the show's fictional and I didn't have a chance, of course, to interview Monk himself on the count that he's fictional. Unfortunately, <laughs> as much as I would love to have him in my office and talk to him, I think he's fascinating. I think that the reason why a lot of people think that the show does not accurately portray OCD is because OCD is not the only thing going on here. What I saw is that the character of monk might struggle with not only OCD and numerous phobias, as you mentioned, including agoraphobia, which is fear of kind of being too far away from home, fear of heights, acrophobia, and other phobias, but also something called complex PTSD. Complex PTSD is something that can happen to individuals who have been through child abuse or neglect and lots of bullying. And possibly also a representation of a character that is on the spectrum. Potentially somebody that has Asperger's, for example. Monk, from what we know about him, had a really traumatic childhood. His father just abandoned the family. He said he was going to pick up some dinner and left and never came back. Adrian's mother drank most of the time and hardly ever spent time with the family. She was never happy. And she also appeared to have a lot of very rigid tendencies. Monk's brother Ambrose had severe agoraphobia to the point of struggling to leave the house, as well as what seemed to be hoarding disorder. And Adrian himself had been severely bullied in school and also grew up to be very lonely. That is until he met Trudy. When he went to university, he met Trudy, he formed friends, he was able to discover his sense of identity and it was because of her that he was able to better manage some of his challenges. Now, what we know about many people with complex trauma, is that their trauma symptoms tend to get better when there is a loving supportive person or being like a pet in their life and their trauma symptoms are worse when this kind of a support is missing and so it makes sense that before trudy adrian struggled with not only making friends and social connections as i think he always had you know he's Again, I think he's a little bit more awkward. I think he struggles with making social connections, but I think that because of Trudy, he was able to receive the kind of love that he didn't have. And that's why his symptoms remitted after Trudy's death. I think he went through the reactivation of his trauma, but not only that, he also went through complicated grief and was shut in his house for many years, unable to leave, unable to perform his basic functions, and it took Sharona, his nurse, his assistant, to be able to help him to take steps toward healing. I think that just about anybody who'd been through the amount of trauma and loss that Adrian had been through would have potentially similar symptoms, at the very least related to difficulty forming friendships, difficulty trusting people's intentions, and probably some kind of a coping mechanism like certain compulsions, like certain obsessions, in order to keep themselves safe. So in my professional opinion, I thought the show did a splendid job of presenting a very complicated case of what somebody with such a traumatic history you might go through. And I thought that Tony Chaloup's portrayal of all of these complexities was outstanding.
1: Yeah. You had mentioned that monk might be on the spectrum. I know that there are multiple debates about this. Can you please elaborate more on this subject?
0: You know, we're still learning more and more about what it means for somebody to be on the spectrum. Some of the characteristics that some people might have if they're on the spectrum might be difficulties with social connections, might be not wanting to be around other people, might be not understanding sarcasm or humor, it might be difficulties with understanding certain social norms, it might be preoccupation with perfection with doing a particular ritual over and over and over, which again is sometimes confused with OCD, but also a lot of people on the spectrum are also diagnosed with OCD concurrently. For a monk who has this compulsion to complete things and have things in sets and in a particular way, and it hurts him if things are not in a particular order or a particular way, at the very least some of his behaviors appear to be indicative of someone who might be on the spectrum. Again, in order to be diagnosed with, let's say autism or Asperger's, somebody would need a a full battery of tests, which means like a full set of different kinds of tests in order to confirm this diagnosis. Of course, we don't have this data for this character, but a lot of his presentation appears to be consistent with what people with Asperger's might present with.
1: You briefly mentioned Sharona. Throughout the series Monk has two assistants to help him. First there is Sharona Fleming played by Biddy Schramm and second there is Natalie Teeger played by Trailer Howard. What roles do Natalie and Sharona play in helping Adrian better cope with his daily struggles?
0: Well Sharona played a monumental role in his development and his well-being because after Monk's wife Trudy died from a car bomb explosion, Monk had a really hard time functioning. She would come to his house, she would prepare meals for him, she would help him organize his house, and she would help him to leave the house, which he had a really hard time with.
2: See, you did it, you rode the subway. I'm proud of you, you're becoming a
1: real New Yorker.
2: I rode on the subway. Changed? Yeah. Yes, I think I did. Okay,
1: this is our exit, so stay close to me.
0: Without her, I don't think he would have made the tremendous progress that he did. And over time, when Adrian starts consulting again for the San Francisco Police Department, it is because of her that he's able to show up to these cases. She drives him and she helps to reorient him. So for a lot of people who might either have autism or have another preoccupation with a particular order, they might have a hard time concentrating on the task at hand, being distracted by items that are out of place. And so Sharona in the first part of the show and Natalie in the second part of the show both help Adrian to refocus and reorient on the task at hand. They help him to manage his triggers when he feels really overwhelmed By certain things. And in a lot of ways, they function almost like a social worker or maybe a special education teacher, somebody that can really help that individual to refocus, even as there might be some distracting stimuli in their environment. Mm. And I think for Adrian, what we see a lot of times when things are dirty, for example, I think we see almost like an emotional flashback. We see him feeling really unsafe and really uncomfortable. And it's not surprising given the trauma that he endured from his family, especially his brother with hoarding disorder and also with what happened with his wife. I think for him, keeping his life as clean and organized as possible is the best way that he can escape from pain because he hadn't quite learned to dive into it.
1: Mm. So Adrian Monk is a brilliant detective. He's like a modern day Sherlock Holmes. What do you think makes him a better detective and makes him able to see things that others can't?
0: I think the fact that he can almost do a puzzle in seeing the entirety of the scene, of the crime scene, allows him to paint the kind of picture that many other detectives can't. I think... For a lot of detectives, they might jump to conclusion, and they might go by their previous knowledge. For example, if they had another case that might have looked like a suicide, they might assume that the current crime scene they're investigating is also a suicide. But Adrian, in taking his time and putting the puzzle of the scene together, is able to notice not only what is present at the crime scene, but also what's missing.
1: Excuse me, Sarah. I'm sure that you're right, but how do you know all of that?
2: I mean, about the computer... It's and... patently obvious, isn't it? There are no prints on the keyboard, not even hers, why he used it. He wiped them clean.
1: Right. And you said that
2: he was tall. The victim's short, maybe five four. Look at the chair, it's lowered almost all the way. Wow.
1: We've been here all morning and nobody even noticed that.
0: And that's what makes him different, is that a lot of times he'll notice For example, somebody died from what appears to be a medicine overdose, but there might be a missing cup of water. How might somebody who took this much medicine been able to take it without any kind of water? Mm -hmm. So this is just one example. He notices which pieces of the puzzle aren't present, and that's how he's able to then recognize whether a particular scene is a murder or not that's how he's able to recognize different kinds of patterns because he has really really good memory he's able to remember different kinds of patterns like shoe patterns and tire patterns something that a lot of people might not notice or might not be able to put together so again I think that his brain works differently. And so some people might, for example, judge somebody for having a different way of thinking. But in some instances, such as this one, this individual might function differently and be able to do tremendous things because of it
1: yeah i couldn't help but think of that one episode where he gets his shirts always from the same inspector who inspects his shirts and something is off in the shirt like a a thread is wrong or something something so minute that no one else would notice but he notices and he thinks that something is wrong because she's a master at her craft and something is wrong and then he actually finds out that something is wrong (laughs) because he goes there and he's like what is wrong with you (laughs) there she is that's her it's
0: number eight. <laughs> are you going to ask her out?
1: <laughs> no, I'm just,
2: I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> OK, go on, go on. Excuse me, number eight? I'm Adrian Monk, this is my friend Natalie Teeger. Adrian Monk, the same? Oh, you saved it. That's the only fan letter I ever wrote. <laughs> I-, I am Maria Ortiz. Maria, it's an honor and a pleasure. It's so nice when you can put a face with the the little tag in the pocket. Uh-oh, are, are you approving this? This, this? this has a little little stain there. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it, you are upset about something. Oh, Maria, Mr. Monk has been really worried about you. It's not me, it's my son, Pablo. Oh, I remember this case, the model, Clea Vance.
0: The papers are wrong, everyone is wrong. Pablo is a good boy. He's innocent.
2: Oh, I know it's hard. You might feel better if you focused on your work, you know, and started inspecting these shirts again.
1: I think about that attention to detail that he has. It's very awe-inspiring, and one of Monk's biggest advocates is the San Francisco police captain Leland Stottlemyre. He's played by Ted Levine. Monk infuriates Captain Stottlemyre regularly just drives him mad. However, the captain really loves and admires Monk and considers him a really good friend. What role does Stottlemyre play in Monk's coping and career development?
0: I think Stottlemyre is always in his corner. He's not only Monk's boss in a way, he's also his friend and he's somebody that always goes to bat for him. He's somebody that believes in him, that encourages him, that would put his own life and you know even badge on the line in order to help Monk, and it is for that reason that he asks Adrian to be his best man.
1: <laughs> so cool. With Monk having such a wide variety of mental health struggles, how effective is Monk's therapy and his psychiatrist in his treatments here?
0: Yeah, so throughout the show, Monk is seen as having two different psychiatrists. One was Dr. Kroger and the other one is Dr. Bell. And they're both very, very nice. As a mental health professional, I thought that their approaches to therapy were not the most effective ones. I thought that they were, I guess, attempting to help him process his trauma, but were not very effective at helping him with managing his OCD and his other symptoms. We know that in addition to trauma processing, which is very important, but it's also important to do it in a more structured way than we saw, what works really well for OCD is something called exposure, especially exposure with response prevention. So exposure is any action that we do in facing our fear. And response prevention means without avoidance mechanisms. In fact, there was one episode where both Adrian and his arch nemesis Howard were both forced to come face to face with one of their greatest phobias, claustrophobia, which is fear of tight spaces, when they were kidnapped and stuck in a trunk. But because they kind of came face to face with their phobias over time, that one fear went away or at the very least reduced.
2: I think we've been looking at this
0: the wrong way.
2: (laughs) This trunk, you know, these, these walls. They're not, they're not closing in on us. they not? Oh, they're, they're protecting us, really. Protecting us? Oh, they're keeping the bad stuff out. Protecting us? Yeah. Protecting us from germs and snakes and harmonicas. And nature. And my mother and her, her new boyfriend. And Xavier Danko. And Xavier Danko. Yeah. That's right. This trunk is our friend. Wow, I know. (laughs) I've been in therapy for 10 years. I think this is the first real breakthrough I've ever had.
0: Now, I'm not saying that if you're claustrophobic that you lock yourself in a trunk, (laughs) and I'm not saying that if your family member is claustrophobic that you do that. But what I am saying is that in therapy... When treating somebody with some kind of a phobia, some kind of an anxiety or some kind of an obsessive tendency, it can help to build a very gradual approach to helping them face their fears in a supportive way with a therapist. So I don't necessarily suggest that you try this at home, but talk to a therapist about doing these kind of exposures. What we know is that having a supportive environment in being able to face some of these fears, some of these areas of discomfort, such as things being out of order or facing certain phobias can over time make these less overwhelming. My dear friend and colleague, Jill Stoddard, recommends that if you are to just kind of practice a little bit in terms of facing things that are out of order, you can try, for example, putting your watch on the other hand and just taking a small step to see that discomfort. At first, your hand might feel uncomfortable and maybe heavy, and you might want to switch back. But over time, over maybe hours or days, you might learn to be accustomed to this feeling, and it won't bother you so much anymore. So the idea of exposure therapy is similar, is that we take steps uh, slowly over time to learn to be able to face the things that make us uncomfortable in order to not be held back by them anymore.
1: Very interesting stuff. So throughout the series, Monk was made fun of and called different names. He was even referred to as the Defective Detective, Besides being made fun of and being called names quite frequently, Monk was also bullied a lot. There were multiple episodes that dealt with this topic. However, there was an episode in Season 5 called Mr. Monk is on the Air that really took bullying to a new level. Even though Monk's jokes and insults were not very effective, what does it say that Monk stood up to the shock jock? And how is this behavior relevant in improving mental health?
0: So in case you're not familiar with this episode or if you don't remember it, in this particular episode, Mr. Monk is investigating the murder of Jeanette Hudson. She was married to a radio host, Max Hudson, and when her body is discovered, it appears as though it might have been a suicide. It appears as though she might have turned on the gas in her room and passed out from carbon monoxide and died mr monk however does not believe that this is a suicide for multiple reasons you know once again is able to outdo a number of other detectives observations but what's really interesting about this episode is that when adrian tries to question max hudson about his wife's death Max says that he'll only answer his questions on the radio. And
1: And bear in mind that this Max Hudson guy is a shock jock, kind of like Howard Stern, you know, really rude, really crude.
0: That's right. He's very rude. His sense of humor is incredibly misogynistic There's a lot of cases of sexual harassment where he very openly talks about women's bodies in a very inappropriate kind of way. And when Adrian Monk shows up with Natalie Teeger, his assistant, Natalie is severely harassed, not only by Max, but also by the rest of the gang. They were called goons. Max's goons when adrian attempts to ask max questions max uses uh bullying techniques and his goons actually record monk asking certain questions or asking for a wipe for example and use it to make fun of him for adrian who'd been bullied his entire life especially in childhood for adrian who'd been socially ostracized for adrian who'd been called all kind of names this kind of bullying really hurts him and intimidates him to the point that he really fears talking to max again now on the advice of adrian's neighbor kevin adrian agrees to go back on the air with max when uh, kevin suggests that essentially adrian beat max at his own game by telling jokes Unfortunately, the jokes that Kevin gives to Adrian are <laughs> very bad, very bad. <laughs> well, uh, you know, just uh, certainly outdated, more <laughs> certainly not current jokes. And this leads to even more bullying. And then Max really crosses the line. Yeah,
2: yeah, JJ, that, that sound effect is about as funny as my wife's cooking. You know what she made every night? A noose? (laughs) No, no, not a noose. Leftovers. Why would she make a noose? Yeah,
1: seriously, though, are are you married? Because that's a woman I would love to meet. (laughs) (laughs) I, I was
2: married. Her name was Trudy. She died. She was murdered. It was a car bomb.
1: Man, that sucks. Uh, may she rest in peace. Well, rest in pieces. <laughs> I mean, at least my wife was buried in a coffin. What was Trudy buried in? A bunch of little snack bags. Oh Let me in there. Whoa, whoa, Max, take no, it no, easy. Seriously, you should have called me in. I could have helped you with the case. I'm great with jigsaw puzzles.
2: Are you joking about Trudy?
1: Hey, I want to use the car now. Go for a drive. What's this button do? <laughs> Bet you needed a whole bunch of wipes that day huh hey by the way you know the last thing that went through your wife's mind the steering wheel seriously, <laughs> here.
0: for adrian to be insulted in this way about his own trauma is so horrific i mean his entire life he's had people who abused him who made fun of him but now Max really crossed the line. He made fun of the one person that Adrian loves more than anything. And so Adrian understandably was pushed to his limit and physically attacked Max, something that Adrian never ever does. He's not a violent person. Mm What we know about bullying is that giving the bully the attention that they want playing into their game tends to be really ineffective and it reinforces bad behavior. There are two things that can be helpful. One is taking the attention away from the bully, removing their podium, so to say. And the other is rather than using the bully's techniques, such as jokes or sarcasm in this case, it's more important to use your own strengths and your own skills. And so for Adrian, his strength is being a detective. So he was able to beat Max using his own skills. He was able to demonstrate that Max is a killer and that he's a liar and that he's a bad person. And so he was able to discredit him. In other ways, when facing a bully, again, it's important to use your own strengths. For example, a few years ago at a local high school, a number of students had been bullied. And one of the students recognized that she wasn't the only one being bullied. And in order to both stand up to the bullies and also support other students, she used her strength which was empathy and she put supporting stickers, post-it notes on the lockers of all the kids around the school saying things like you're loved and you're wonderful and I support you. And the effect of this was tremendous because students from all over the school were then able to support one another. And what's interesting is that bullying in that school significantly reduced Following that example, our younger son actually ended up doing something Mm -hmm. similar in his elementary school. When he was being bullied, he realized that there were other kids that were also being bullied. And in learning from this example, did the same thing where he put supportive post-it notes on the desks of other students that were also being bullied. It's not about beating bullies at their own game. It's about standing against bullying using your own strengths, such as kindness, compassion, creativity, or in the case of Adrian Monk, it was in being a detective.
1: Yes, that was a wonderful episode. Speaking of wonderful episodes, there's a beautiful episode titled Mr. Monk and the Kid. Monk fosters a two year old boy for a few weeks and builds a strong, loving connection with him.
2: Monk. 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 You won't stop saying Monk. This way. This way? Yeah. Are you sure? It's like Monk finally
1: found a friend. In another episode titled Mr. Monk and the Dog, Monk fosters a dog and again finds joy, happiness, and love as their bond builds. I'm
2: home! <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Oh, how was she? Oh, she was great. I <laughs> see you. There you are. He's so yeah, cute. you are. I love you too. I love you too. Thank you for watching. Uh, I wish I had a dog. Yeah.
1: What do you think about Monk's bonds in these episodes and his emotional growth as the result?
0: Well, again, as we talked about earlier, when having a supportive being in our life or when having some kind of a sense of purpose, it tends to help people to reduce a lot of their symptomatology. I think Adrian was able to have fewer of his OCD and trauma and phobia symptoms because he had somebody to live for. Whether it was a child in that one episode or a dog in another, having someone to love and somebody that loved him gave Monk that sense of belonging. This is the role that Trudy played for him and so having another being in his life gave him the sense of love that allowed him to have more courage and willingness to face some of the hardships that he was going through.
1: That's interesting because you mentioned Trudy and there's also a couple of other instances where these people take on the mantle of being his friend. So in a similar way, in an episode titled Mr. Monk and the Lady Next Door, Monk begins a dear friendship with a mom-like figure. Later in the series, Monk finds out that his deceased wife had a daughter before they met. The two bond very quickly, and again, he seems to be very happy, and his mental state improves significantly. Why do you think these types of relationships appear to play such an important role in his mental health?
0: Gosh, I'm tearing up as you're talking about this. It was so beautiful. I could not have asked for a better conclusion of the series. I think that, once again, what it shows is that if we have someone in our life, a person of support, somebody that can love us unconditionally, that can support us unconditionally, or somebody for us to love and to live for, it can give us the kind of strength to face the old wounds that we were not previously prepared to explore.
2: What are you doing? Uh, I just thought... You
1: haven't even washed your
2: hands. Were you brought up in a barn? <laughs> What's so funny? I forgot to wash my hands. I'm, I'm usually pretty good about that kind of stuff.
0: And you, soap?
2: Yes, ma'am. What are you doing? I'm just separating my. <laughs> no, no, these are mixed vegetables. They're supposed to be mixed like this. See? Like them all together and then you eat them all together. You can see I've really slaved over this
0: lunch. I believe that ultimately that's what everyone needs. We are meant for belonging. We're meant to have supportive, loving, caring relationships. And for somebody who's been through the amount of trauma and bullying and abuse and rejection like Adrian, I think that it's crucial to his survival to have someone like that in their life it makes sense that after meeting trudy's daughter he is a changed man
1: so beautiful overall what do you think this show teaches us
0: i think the show teaches us empathy toward individuals that might have gone through a really challenging time individuals that might be different from us There are not many shows where the leading protagonist is, you know, again, in my interpretation anyway, on the spectrum and has history trauma and has so many mental health difficulties that they're going through. They're not a side character. They're the leading character. And so I think as a viewer, we learn empathy. I think as a viewer, we learn what can be helpful, what can be detrimental, right? Like abuse, neglect, manipulation as Adrian goes through when a guy named Hal pretends to be his friend, but just uses him in order to cover up his murder.
2: Every time somebody wants to be my friend, it turns out they're after something. They have an angle. Mm, not necessarily. How could somebody, how could anybody, love me unconditionally? I mean, come on, you met me. Adrian, I know you've been burned in the past, but you have to trust people. See, there's not always a catch. And how do you explain this? There's always a catch.
0: I think the show teaches us that at the core of every trauma, if we're provided with love, with friendship, with support, then we might find our own road to healing. Mm.
1: That's a perfect opportunity for us to end this episode because that is just a loving, wonderful way to put things.
0: If you have not seen the show, I highly recommend that it's beautifully done.
1: Yes, it's quirky and a very fun little show. Thank you all so much for listening again. My name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek.
0: And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlet. You can find me on Twitter at ShadowQuill and at Dr. Janina Scarlet Official on Instagram.
1: For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlet's book, Dark Agents, Book One, Violet and the Trial of Trauma. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag SuperheroTherapyPodcast. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion.
0: And Tony Shalhoub, if you're listening, we absolutely adore your work and we would love to have you on the show. Yeah,
1: for sure. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind and have a great day.